welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome along, everybody. It's your host, Thomas Pierce, here with you as I am every Thursday, 52 weeks a year, here providing you insightful and inspiring conversations to empower men to improve their conversation and communication skills so they could be more real with themselves and their loved ones. My guest this week is Heather Shannon. She's a certified sex therapist, and we have a great conversation about unlearning all of the assumptions we have about sex and as well as dealing with insecurities and the nuances of unpacking some of the troubles many men have with sex. It's a great conversation, and if I have not already earned your subscription or your following, I hope this is the episode that will do that for you. Certainly appreciate it, and I certainly appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to read one here from July of last year from LBW. 6969. Nice. <laughs> Five stars. Great podcast focusing on real issues. Tom is a great interviewer and a facilitator that unlocks his guests who range from funny to thoughtful all in one conversation. Great host, great content, and a fantastic show. Well, thank you very much, LBW, for the kind review. And if you feel the same way about the show, please go ahead and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. It does help us get more eyeballs on the show and promote the message that it's okay for men to talk about things that are going on in their lives, and everyone in our society will benefit with an upskilling of men's communication and conversation skills and a destigmatizing of many of the issues that lead to unproductive behavior. Without further ado, enjoy this wonderful conversation with Heather Shannon. She's a real joy to speak with, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Bro Nouveau Podcast. And we are recording. Hello, everybody. With me this week is my guest, Heather Shannon. She's a certified sex therapist. Uh, her work is, and her intention as a sex therapist is to help reduce sh- shame and stigma around sexuality so people can fully embrace and enjoy their sexual selves. And her four core values, the pillars of her work are sex positivity, intersectional feminism, human rights, and freedom of expression. So welcome, Heather, to the Bronova podcast. Thank you, Thomas. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. What's going on? How's the... uh How's the vibe down there in, in Puerto Rico right now? Yeah, it's good. I uh, have beautiful view of, you know, ocean and palm trees, so can't complain too much. Um, yeah, it's a sunny day, blue skies. Yeah, it's all good. Sick. But you're, <laughs> moving, you're moving back, huh? To- yeah, moving to Florida. So I wanted to keep the warm weather and the ocean and at least a few palm trees. <laughs> but I really didn't want to go back to like Chicago where I'm from with like the terrible winters and all of that. But yeah, I've been missing some of the, you know, mainland conveniences and, you know, that kind of thing. Anywhere from, you know, healthcare to, you know, dating options to restaurants and gluten-free bakeries. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Craft coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine the dating pool is probably a lot of like old rich dudes leering at young women. <laughs> That's my image of Puerto Rico. <laughs> 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 okay, so luckily, it's not as bad as you're making it sound, but it's just not cool. as uh, fruitful as I would like it to be. So. Um, the place where I live is probably a a 50, 50 mix of people from the States and people from Puerto Rico. Um, but pretty much everyone is, is coupled up or has kids or like retirees. So I'm one of a handful of single people here and we're about an hour from San Juan. So basically all the single people are in San Juan and I just like, don't really have any interest in living in San Juan. You know, it's a little too urban for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you... I'm sure I well, I would guess my question was going to be around as a sex therapist dating are you oh. <laughs> analyzing it but I'm sure you're not you're probably just chilling enjoying yourself but do people who you date get alarmed yeah or intimidated <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like when I was visiting Florida I actually went on four dates with this one guy and he he said that he was like it's hard enough that you know you know you're a sex therapist and 
you know, I, he was kind of saying like, he didn't want to know too much or something. Um, so I was like, that's, that's kind of interesting, you know? Um, and I, the other thing I get, so people are either a little intimidated or it's like, they're like salivating, like, Oh oh my God. And then, then I (laughs) novelty or something. I'm like, yeah, still a human. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's like also not ideal. Right. Right. So, but I mean, but also in an interesting way, I think it's a good screener. Cause it's like, you know, it kind of requires someone to be like secure enough in himself and kind of wise enough to realize that like, I'm still just a human and like sex is vulnerable for me too. It's not like, you know, I don't think anyone has it all figured out. Totally. Totally. And I think that's a vulnerability, at least on the men's side, just comes from not talking about sex and also this whole focus on from porn, mm. like penis size. Oh, I yeah. think that's a, a widespread and rotting insecurity among men. And, and I myself have worked through that just from being in a generation where porn was accessible as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like such a insecurity for many people. And it hasn't, it doesn't, it's not discussed, you know? So that's just one. And then there's like other parts of the body and then, performance and then how do I look you know everyone brings their own deal to the table yeah and I appreciate you bringing that up because um you know I have mixed feelings on porn sometimes I think it gets a bad rap and sometimes I think um you know it is part of the culture that's not helping people overall um Mm. you know I think it's so I, I guess I think it's important to be like keep it in its place as entertainment you know, and not think that like, this is what our sex lives at home should be like. Yes. Yeah. I had a, I had a, I think he's a side on and he, uh, this guy's name is Dr. Caparucci and he is a big anti, not anti-porn, I guess anti-porn and also like a Christian spin, but mm. he, he had a very like hard line. It's, it's very unhealthy, but I think, it's one of those things that for me, I think as far as people's interaction with it and as far as like, if, if we could have a policy, maybe like limit it for kids and then for adults, you know, in moderation. Right. Right. And it's like, as adults, we all have to moderate ourselves. You know, yes. like, I think it's really <laughs> less about like, this is inherently good or inherently bad. I kind of don't really believe in that kind of like, dichotomy it's more like is this working for you and is this working for you the way you're currently approaching it or does something need to shift or change because one person might watch porn and think you know oh cool new ideas i haven't tried yet or like just found something else i'm interested in that's awesome and i'm gonna go try this with my partner and have a great time in real life and someone else might watch it and think like oh my god his penis is so much bigger than mine or like oh her boobs are so perfect or like you know, her butthole is bleached or like her, (laughs) you know, but it's like, I I do think these are the conversations that no one's having, but we're all having them inside our heads. Internally. Yeah. uh, My guest last week, Bree said that most people don't realize that the individual they're talking to the most is themselves. A hundred percent. You know, (laughs) it's like these just loops of things in our heads. Well, that's interesting. And I think relevant around my mission is, so my mission is normalizing difficult dialogue, like, like mm-hmm. this kind of topic, mm-hmm. equipping, equipping men and anyone who's interested with the vocabulary and the emotional intelligence to have tough conversations and yeah. also be, a, be vulnerable to say the wrong thing or learn in conversation, not say the wrong thing intentionally, but. Yeah. So you don't yeah. have to say it perfectly to participate in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what, one of these, yeah, is the sex insecurity. And so what do you see in your male population as far as common problems that maybe men listening are experiencing, but have never vocalized? Yeah. Um, a lot of different things. So there is a little bit of a general trend where some men feel like sex should just be easy. It should just be 
probably kind of how it is in porn, I guess. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you just kind of like get in there and you make out a little bit and you fondle and then you have penetration and then she just like magically comes super easily and then you're both happy and done. (laughs) And and then I think when anything else goes wrong, when it's kind of like, oh, well, she didn't come or like, oh, I'm not coming or like now I'm self-conscious about my penis size or like, oh, I really like her. So now there's like this whole emotional component like I didn't like Mm -hmm. back before that's maybe causing some performance anxiety or, you know, I should be able to last longer, you know, like there's so many ways in which we can get in our heads or, you know, maybe someone could feel like, you know, oh, I'm taking too long or, you know, he's getting bored. Mm -hmm. Like there's, um, there's a lot of things like that. So I think, that's why I love what you're doing. That it's like just by being able to talk about it and kind of be like, Hey, this is what's coming up for me. What's coming up for you. How can we make this more comfortable? How can we help each other get into our bodies and relax first, maybe before we even kind of start being sexual. So there's, there's so much we can do and being able to have a really like open, healthy, non-judgmental conversation is such like a foundation for that. Mm, I love it. So if, if we were to rewind the clock and, and talk about your path and learn about your path to where, where you are, I saw that you started in business and finance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, have a degree. I have a degree in finance, <clears throat> which is pretty funny. Um, uh-huh. And I mean, and I do run my own business now, but it's like, am I right. calculating the net present value of like purchasing a building for a corporation anymore? No. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm comfortable with that. So, <laughs> but yeah, my yeah. first my first job out of college was market research. I was market research analyst because I kind of knew I didn't want to do the finance stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is businessy, but maybe incorporated a little bit more psychology. And then um, wound up being school counselor for six years, and then starting a private practice during my fifth year, and then you know going full time after the sixth year, and and then eventually pivoting from, I kind of started out working with anxiety and like addictive behaviors. And then I realized I was like, no matter why they come to therapy, everyone talks about the relationships. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I really like talking to people about relationships. So then I started marketing. That is one of the things I focused on with people. Um, And then eventually, you know, doing the sexual health certificate at university of Michigan and becoming a certified sex therapist. So, um, yeah, so it's been an interesting journey. It's been good. Wouldn't change it. Awesome. Yeah. So anxiety and substance abuse mm-hmm. were your original focuses. Are those two things often correlated or is it more just sure. the mental I health mean, issues are correlated altogether as a whole? be rare to have um like any kind of addictive compulsive behavior whether it's a substance um you know whether it's food or sex or gambling whatever it is um without anxiety being present too Mm. you know because i think a lot of it is we're looking for an escape with addictive compulsive behaviors it's kind of like something is not feeling right and we don't really want to be present to it so it's like, okay, let's totally. Yeah. It's an escape. Yeah, right? that. Uh, Find that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah. So what are the mechanics of that impulsive behavior? So what happens? I'm upset about something and I want to go for me. It's like, go watch rugby or like <laughs> look at my phone, you know, whatever my like safe yeah. space is. Yeah. You know, what, what, what's happening in my brain with that uh, reaction? Um, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So, I mean, the idea is that our thoughts create our emotional state. Um, and this is taught by, you know, many kind of gurus over time. It's a big part of Buddhism. And that's, that's been part of my path too, is like, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like the, the Buddha said, you know, with our thoughts, we create the world basically. Um, and so I think that's really true. So what, what happens though, is like, we don't realize that there's a thought in there. Sometimes it goes so quickly from something happens to like, now we feel anxious or, you know, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Florida. So there's different ways to look at it. Right. If I have a thought, Oh my God, I'm not going to sell my car and it's going to be so stressful. I'm going to have to like leave in Puerto Rico and I'm not going to have a car in Florida either. Like, you know, there could be this whole string of thoughts that then I'm like in a panic state. 
Or there could be thoughts of, you know, I have lots of different options and maybe I come back next month and sell. Maybe I get a ferry and I bring it to Florida. So it's like you could have the same situation, but depending on how you think about it, that's what actually determines if we're stressed, if we're anxious, if we're sad, if, you know, we're resisting what's actually happening. Um, so it's, it's pretty fascinating. So that's, so then that's what's happening is we have some kind of thought. It creates an emotional state that we're kind of like, you know, uneasy in some way. And then we're kind of like, Ooh, this feeling is so uncomfortable. I have to escape it. And then we take an action to, you know, numb ourselves or get a dopamine hit or just avoid or escape and distract ourselves. But that's not inherently bad, but when it becomes like a compulsion, you know, it starts to become kind of automatic because that, you know, neural pathway in our brain is getting reinforced uh, habitually and with dopamine it's like an internal drug, you know? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. it's happening. Cool. Cool. Thanks. That's interesting. Yeah. And then what, what would a healthy alternative be instead of an extreme yeah. example, a substance, less extreme example, checking the phone. to our phone. So I actually think that's a great example. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it can be pretty harmful actually, but uh, we're just used to it. So so yeah, I mean, I think the first step is becoming aware because sometimes we're so sucked into it that we don't even really realize like how compulsive we're being, you know? So it might be, it might be like you look at your screen time report on your iPhone and it's like, Ooh, I picked my phone up like 300 <laughs> times today. Like that's scary. Wow, you know, and then, and then you kind of might have a thought of like, okay, I don't want to pick my phone up that often. I'd like to have a little bit more spaciousness in my life. I'd like to have some downtime. I'd like to go outside without my phone or cook and just, you know, put my phone down or something. Um, so I think it starts with the awareness and then an intention. And I actually feel that once we have the awareness and if we get really clear on like what we do want, what our intention is, that's at least half the battle. Sometimes I think we get caught up in like, how are we going to do it? And like, what's going to be the perfect method? And it's like, well, what if we worry less about that? And we just focus on like, okay, this is what I want. And then, then I think the the how often arises for us. Um, yeah. I like that. Let's kind of talk. It's the idea that we have to define where we're going before we can figure out how to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah, in a broader sense, just about life trajectories. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like I know the status quo isn't the life I want, but mm. these tools I have to get to some kind of destination that I want aren't really useful until I can define and visualize what that other life is going to be for me. Mm. So I think it's kind of kind of similar. And it's a much more macro perspective, but mm -hmm. also, you know, maybe what it sounds like is defining a little more than just like, I don't want to feel anxious. It's, it's a little define something a little more specific that is a better alternative. Yeah. And I think what you just said is good because I think we often start out realizing what we don't want. And that is helpful because then it can point us to what we do want. So it's like if you know you don't want like a conventional life then maybe you start looking at like, okay, what are some of the options of like a less conventional life? Is it like, I'm going to be self-employed or I'm going to be location independent or, you know, I'm going to do something that's like meaningful or fulfilling, or I'm going to be an artist or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but I think that first we start kind of knowing what doesn't feel good. And then that points us to what we do want. So like, if, if it's like, Oh, I feel anxious. I don't want to feel anxious. What do I want to feel? Okay, maybe calm or peaceful or confident, something like that. For sure. Yeah. So what keeps you in the the sex therapy work? What about it? I mean, it's a pretty great job. <laughs> 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 like let's nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like people are fascinating, relationships are fascinating, you know being a human myself. It's like, I'm aware that like when, when I'm in relationships, <laughs> whether it's family or friends or dating that, you know, 
emotions come up and we get triggered and stuff from our past comes up. And, you know, sometimes we have disproportionate reactions and sometimes we're really clear on what we want. And sometimes we're like kind of confused in a relationship or sometimes we kind of know what we want sexually, but we don't know if it's possible to like really get what we want. And we can be kind of stuck in some scarcity around that. So there's so many different dynamics at play that it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty interesting stuff. So your your academic or your lifelong learning mind is super engaged, it sounds mm, like. Yeah, for sure. Because I want to be understanding like what what really helps people and like what moves the needle. Because I think, you know, there's certain tools or techniques we're given where it's kind of like, eh, it feels like a Band-Aid, right? Um, and then there's other tools or techniques where it's like, ooh, wow, this really kind of changes things for people. Like I do um, internal family systems, And that's one where I'm like, oh, wow, like this, like sometimes one session just like puts people on a different path, which is incredible. And then I also have other people who just like really don't like that method at all. (laughs) It's just not going to work for them Uh, or it needs to be modified for them. So, um, so yeah, I like having like a few different tools kind of in my tool bag. And I feel like we are never done learning. And I think one of the challenges for me is like, when I'm learning something personally, when I feel like, okay, I feel like I'm becoming a little bit more balanced and happier or more of myself. And I'm like, okay, now how do I find a teachable way to share this with people? How do I find an effective way to present this? Because sometimes it's hard to go from like, I'm like, well, I know how, like I got there somehow. How do I help other people get there? Yeah. That's the idea is really interesting. Sexual scarcity. That's, a new term Mm. I've never heard. And then the other thing I think you're kind of talking about at the end there is the idea of not projecting or overlaying one's own experiences onto your clients. And is that something that you had to learn and is it part of training or is it something that maybe more like a more nuanced therapist Mm. is just aware of because they have high empathy? Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, I don't want to project my beliefs on people. Like, my whole thing is, like, sexual authenticity. Like, I want my clients, like, whether they want to be a sex worker or whether they want to wait till marriage or whatever path they're on, I want them to be in a path that feels right for them. So that's my agenda with working with people rather than, like, me projecting, here's what I think my best path is, and then thinking that's the best path for everyone, right? So that that is something that's covered in grad school. How well it's executed by some people varies <laughs> greatly because, like, I definitely, I think especially being in, in the sex therapy world, like, I'll get clients that have seen other therapists who will sometimes, you know, project their own beliefs around sex on them or be kind of shaming of like things they're into. And so I just don't do that. Oh, just, goodness I just gracious. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so, it's out there. Yeah. <laughs> definitely is out there. But then I, I also think, you know, while I don't want to project like my beliefs or how things are in my life and make that be the right way for everyone. I do also want to share, like if something has helped me feel more sexually authentic, if something has helped me, kind of feel more free in terms of being able to express myself sexually, I I do like to think about how can that concept be taught? You know, how can um, I help other people have that experience? Yeah. So would you think, so is your premise or your thesis then that sexual freedom is, is a quality of life improver for most people? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, you still have a you still have a hundred percent choice of what you do with that freedom, mm. right? But having mm-hmm. having freedom mentally, I don't know anyone that has not liked that. So if I I'm also, if I meet someone where they're like, "Ooh, Heather, you're giving me all this freedom, and I feel worse. I hate it." <laughs> <laughs> I would be happy to explore that with them, you know. But yeah. um, maybe but that's the day you close up shop. Yeah, generally thinking, I think it's a process of like, we have some of these like hidden thoughts and beliefs that maybe we got from, you know, parents or peers or porn or church growing up or any number of things. And then we carry these around of like, ooh, this is what I should look like. This is how big my penis should be. This is what my boobs should look like. This is 
what my hair should look like. This is, you know, like we have this idea of what we should look like. This is how I should show up. This is how sex should go. We start, you know, the whole idea of rounding the bases. We start with, you know, making out and then we do some fondling and then maybe there's some oral and then there's intercourse. And so what I like to do is help people kind of unlearn all of these things and then make more of a conscious choice of like, Hey, like what if your menu of options was actually like way bigger and you might still choose the same four things that you were choosing before, (laughs) but you're at least realizing how many options there are and really getting to pick what feels right for you. It's tapas style. Yeah. <laughs> you can order one thing. You don't even have to wait to arrive. You can then order the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Stop us. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And yeah, that's that's really cool that you have that niche. I mean I would imagine there's a great demand for it. There is a good demand, and actually that's kind of what helped me pull the trigger eventually because doing the program at Michigan and then going through the certification process, like it's not fast. It's not cheap. And I was kind of like, if I'm just trying to get my continuing ed credits, there's many easier ways for me to do this. Um, but it was something I was interested in. I was a little bit nervous about being kind of pigeonholed or, or too niche with it. Um, and then I was like, you know, I don't think that really ever winds up that way. So I'm not going to worry about it. And then I realized I'm like, there's more demand for this than there is supply right now. Like this would be a really good opportunity to help people where it's needed. And I had a couple clients who had been like super brave and exploring like sexual trauma and like sex and gender identity and orientation and stuff like that. Um, And it was so rewarding that I was like, if I can be like a safe space for people to talk to about this stuff they don't really you know in a professional space too not like your friend where they're like inserting their own opinion every five seconds (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're like well me and billy bob do it this way right i read a bit of a book that was kind of interesting so it was was a book about the children of divorce Hmm. and it was very academic but it definitely was a also like i think a christian oriented okay um, selection of authors mm-hmm. and it's this idea that's pretty prevalent about the demise of the American family, the demise of the nuclear family mm. and what they were kind of alluding to. Have you, have you heard of that idea or that like, yeah, I've heard of the idea. Yeah. It's like pretty common, especially in more conservative circles as like mm-hmm. a explanation for many of the societal ills we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And sexual promiscuity, they were kind of alluding to as as part of that, and like a decoupling of sex from procreation and family rearing mm. as a part of the problem. That's how I read it. They didn't quite say that, but that was what they were alluding to, I think. I thought it was interesting because it makes sense to me that having a core family unit is a good thing, in, potentially. I mean, if you have a bad actor in there like an abusive parent, then that's not good. But in theory, like social bonds help us stay loyal, stay accountable, stay productive. Right. You know, so, but then also doesn't work for everyone. And I think we should talk about it and like give, as we mentioned, the options. So I don't know. What do you think about that? The idea that like they're the dark side of, of this, or maybe like the, is, is, is that even, would you say so that? Again, this is, I feel yeah. like I'm going to get like, this is, part of my spiritual beliefs too is like, what if, um, so even the word promiscuous is a loaded, emotionally kind of heavy judgmental word. Um, but it's so ingrained that like, I remember when I first started working with my sex therapy supervisor to get certified, I think I mentioned that word and she was kind of like, well, that's a loaded word. And I'm like, well, what else do you even say? (laughs) (laughs) Actually active. And I'm like, Oh, that is a lot better. Yeah. You know, like, so I think I think even looking at that, like that is actually a perfect example of like, what if we realize that word is kind of loaded and choose a different word. But um, so I think, again, it kind of goes back to what if being sexually active is not good or bad? What if it just depends on the person and if it works for that person or not? So there's some people I know that are sexually active and it feels 
fun and connective and enriching to their lives and boosts their oxytocin and gives them some endorphins and they feel nice connections with these people. And then I also know for other people, it's going to feel traumatic. It's going to feel like we're not committed. I don't have a secure enough base with this person. I feel like, you know, I, it was more vulnerable and I didn't feel safe being vulnerable with this person. Then it's like, then that's a problem. Like, you know, so it's like, I think we really have to pay attention to how do we feel? Like totally. How, yeah. yeah. It, and anecdotally, I'm partnered now. Mm-hmm. Kendall's the best. <laughs> and, uh, ah, Kendall. Yeah. yeah. Kendall. And we were talking actually just recently about conditioning and how men are because because men don't really have the mechanisms to establish, I guess, identify, verbalize, and establish emotional connection. It often comes through a physical action. So, like, be, you know, maybe men, maybe guys are seeking emotional security and safety and love and connection and growth and mm-hmm. amazing, amazing, incredible love. Yeah, but they only have ever seen hooking up, or especially yeah. young people. You know, in the peer group, what I saw too is that when I was single, I think I was seeking deeper connections, but emotional, or sorry, rather more physical connections were available. Mm-hmm. And then that was reinforced by my peer group. And they were, you know, they were like, oh, you know, it's like, it's that classic, like, dudes, like, oh, yeah, dude, like, you had sex, like, nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but like, yeah. that's not that helpful. Like, what I really should have been hearing was like, you're a human and you need real love. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. I, think, I think like by having these conversations, I mean, I think it's so wonderful that you have this podcast to talk about these things. Um, it's like by having these conversations, like you're, you're helping to open people's minds that like, Hey, there are more options on the menu. And like, you can be a guy. There's so many myths about, you know, men and women and sex drives, you know, that like, oh, men should have a higher sex drive or, you know, guys should always want sex. And like, you know, I've had male clients that wind up then saying yes to sex that they don't want to have because they feel like they're a guy and they can't say no ever. Like, that's not good. That's not what we're trying to do. Or like a guy who maybe prefers, like, it's like, hey, I actually would prefer to like actually care about the person and like be in a relationship or something. Um, But there's sometimes this feeling of like, but I should be sowing my oats and like having all these sexual experiences. Cause then that's going to make me more like complete as a man. So I think like, what if we just throw all of that out the window <laughs> okay for like people of all genders to just like show up how they show up, you know, and do what feels right for them. So I'm hoping we get more and more to that point. Totally. I think, I think it is, it's just maybe a few generations before it's, yeah. Less judgmental. I don't know. Yeah. But also I think this younger generation coming up is going to be very different because they have access to the internet and right. ideas from all over the world and, you know, various perspectives. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it was, it was also interesting to me just to, to learn about, you know, different parts of the country and different communities have very different values, you know? And I think, um, you know, I'm more of the mind of like, do what works for you. And, you know, there's not a right or wrong way to do it. It's okay if we each have a different way of approaching sex and relationships. But there's also messages that's like, no, it's not okay. Here's the one way to do it. And you have to do it this way. And this is the proper way. And if you don't, you might be like excommunicated or cut off from social connection. So, you know, a lot of people have that experience, you know, and then, and then I think we get into the, what you mentioned about the nuclear family. It's like some people kind of have to find a new family and like have their chosen family. I like that phrase, the chosen family. Um, Yeah. People who really just, you know, whether or not you're blood related, just really support you and love you as you are. It's hard to beat that. Totally. And I think the social connections to our, so important. And with all yeah. of the shootings in the last two weeks, I've been thinking about 
I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do some episodes on the profiles of these individuals and Oh, interesting. What are the common characteristics of, of folks who do this? Cause it's often young white men. Yeah. And yeah. they were young kids at one point who were just seeking comfort and a belonging and connection. Yeah. And community. Yeah. And what went wrong, you know, and, and mm-hmm. my thinking is that it's cause they didn't know that it was okay to be different or whatever right. made them the other in right. the peer group and drove mm-hmm. them to radicalization. Yeah. It was potentially was preventable if we just had a more accepting population. Yeah. You know, among men and then also from the other genders who kind of implicitly or through the nonverbal behavior educate and, and say, this is how you should act, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point, Thomas. Like, and that was one of the things we talked about in our um, gender class and what I like to call sex school. Um, but <laughs> you know, you can identify as a woman and you can be kind of like, butch or a tomboy or really girly or somewhere in between. And there's kind of like this wider range of, and it's all acceptable that like you're a woman, no matter how you kind of express within that range, but that for men, it was a much smaller range, a much smaller kind of box to fit in. And so I, I love what you're saying. And I think, you know, bullying is such an issue. Um, you know, like I, I only work with adults, but you know, it affects people well into adulthood. So I think oh it's like, goodness, yeah. yeah, it's like if, if, if young, you know, people and young men in particular can be more like open and accepting of different expressions of like what masculinity can look like. I mean, that, that would be an exciting change. Totally. Yeah. It makes me so sad, you know, and it, it, both from the perspective of like the, the different kid who gets bullied. And then also mm-hmm. this is just me just projecting and probably judging, but like if mm-hmm. I just see, a guy in a pickup truck, he's got the like, I love the smell of gunpowder in the morning <laughs> you know, sticker on his, on his pickup truck. And it's like, dude, like, is this your highest expression? Oh my you God. know, is this, is this really what you want to like plant your flag behind? And right. I, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily like anti-gun. I just think that it's like, there's so many avenues and paths and like yes. you don't have to just be this way just because everyone you grew up around right. expressed this way doesn't mean you have to express this way. But what and, that requires, like I couldn't agree with you more, but that what that requires is you have to be willing to be alone. You have to be okay. Yes. okay oh my enough God, with yourself. So you have to be okay enough with yourself first that you're like, okay, if my family disowns me, if my friends don't want anything to do with me anymore, if I totally break the mold on what's acceptable in my little social circle, I might be alone for a while before I find my, my new people. And I'll have to be willing to try and find new people, which is a journey and a process and doesn't always go smoothly either. That's terrifying sounding. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've experienced that in the micro because I've always been kind of eclectic. I would say not always, but like as mm-hmm. I became a teenager, yeah, you know, and then I like evolved into this and I'm evolving obviously, but I never, I never had the fear that my immediate family would ditch me. Yeah. And, and, and once I made my core friend group of high school friends, I knew that they wouldn't ditch me and they would, you know, back me wow. up no matter what. Right. So it was more like socially anytime I want to do something different or be different or not just be that typical male model or male um, shape or whatever. I was like, okay, well I don't care about these people. They're not my core rock of people, you know, and like I can, I can not let that bother me if they don't accept me. Right. And, and then, but then what happens is I would go out and do something different. And then it was reinforced really positively and people would be like, Oh, that's cool. Like you have different interests or whatever. Right. So I think that that's a good, like, I guess privilege check for me is that mm-hmm. I never had the threat of that, like foundation being removed. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's intense. And I mean, I think in the LGBTQ community, you do hear that a lot more often mm-hmm. that our people have their chosen family and, you know, there's a lot more substance issues and mental health issues, I think, because of those obstacles that people face. Um, so, yeah, it is good just to kind of be be aware of that, that, 
sometimes just being fully ourselves can be very costly socially. And just that the need for belonging is such a core need for all of us that drives so much behavior. But I mean, if there's somebody who's like, Hey, this, this need for belonging is making me like not be who I really am. And there's such like a disconnect within me to, to know that like you can build that level of security and you can start finding some of your people before you maybe authentically express yourself to friends or family or your current community. Like maybe you kind of line up some support first too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That intersection. Cause one of your core values or yeah, uh, for your work is intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool idea, but yeah, it makes sense. Like the intersection of, an LGBTQ identity with other challenges. And it kind of reminds me of um, like an ACE score for a child, for example. Yeah. The Um, ACE is the trauma evaluation. So yeah, if someone has more trauma, that's going to be a factor that influences them probably for a long time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So, so that core value of intersectional, Feminism, what does that what does that mean to you and, and how did it come to be a, a core tenet of, of how you do Yeah. Work? I mean I think it, I think I also mentioned human rights and I think it all kind of boils down to that. It's kind of and also my my focus with sex on authenticity. It's like I want everyone to be as authentically themselves as they can possibly be and like shine their light as brightly as they can shine it, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that um yeah, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of that. So I think one, having support is really helpful, knowing that there are safe spaces to explore that maybe before you kind of either like come out to people. And this could, I mean, it could be anything from coming out as kinky to coming out as polyamorous to coming out as, you know, genderqueer or gay or whatever it is, um, or bisexual. I think, you know, that's an interesting one because a lot of people who identify as bisexual can live a very straight appearing life fairly authentically, but are kind of missing expressing maybe part of who they are or just claiming part of who they are. So that that's an interesting one to explore with people too. Um, Yeah, but it's, uh, I think, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's important to do. And I think it's our society starting to shift. And so I think when I say intersectional feminism, it's like, um, one, I think that it's important with sex because there is an orgasm gap. I don't know if you've talked about that with any previous guests, but um, so people who identify as male are having more orgasms per sexual encounter than people who identify as female. And when you have two females, the orgasm rate goes up compared to when it's a male and a female. So that's interesting. So it's like, I think it kind of points to there's a little bit more focus on male pleasure, the idea that sex is over after a man comes, whether or not, you know, his female partner has orgasmed. Um, Whereas when you have two women, you know, this is part of what I like about the queer community is like, it's tougher in the sense because there's fewer social scripts, you know, when it's like a male female partnership, there's an idea, more of an idea of this is how this should go. Um, when it's two women, there's a little bit less of that. And um, there's also probably less focus on penetration. That's somewhat speculative, but when I think about why are there higher <laughs> rates of orgasm when there's two women versus a man and a woman, I'm like, okay. And then they did research that the average encounter lasts a bit longer too. So there's probably just a little bit more emphasis on slowly building up the the sexual tension and the sexual expression before, you know, orgasm becomes a focus or maybe there's a bit more patience there. I don't know. There's, but we know it lasts longer and uh, suspect that maybe there's less focus on penetration, maybe a little bit more in the clitoris. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think women are less comfortable with their genitals just because, you know, our genitals are more internal and we don't look at them as much. And there's a lot of people feel like, Ooh, they're gross. They're like getting your period is kind of icky or gross and you don't want to have period sex. And, you know, so there's kind of some discomfort with that, like maybe with, you know, masturbation and touching themselves. I think that, um, you know, people who are socialized as men, it's kind of like, yeah, you can have sex, you can have masturbate, like go sow your oats and whatever. And, you know, people who are raised as female, it's more like, you know, 
kind of like hold on to your purity and like, don't give it away. And men are only after Mm -hmm. one thing. And, you know, like, um, you're supposed to be pure. And so, so I think there's a lot of messages there that, you know, are still kind of very patriarchal, um, you know, and porn doesn't really, porn depicts twice as many blowjobs as it does, uh, oral sex on women. Um, so I think there's, you know, it's skewed. And, and again, we need to stop treating porn as education. It's entertainment and men are the ones paying for it more so. Oh yeah. So that's oh why God. it's going to cater to men. So, you know, I think either women need to start paying for porn more <laughs> or, you know, and there, and there are more feminist porn companies too. So there's, you know, there's a lot of options out there if, um, if people look for them, but, um, so yeah, when I think about feminism, I think about, you know, prioritizing, um, femme, female, you know, non-binary pleasure and not just male pleasure. And, um, I think about the intersectionality because, you know, like you mentioned the trauma piece, um, you know, the race piece is interesting. There's even, you know, statistics from okay Cupid and I've, I've looked for them to try and find them, but I remember reading and it was like, based on your race, here's the percent of times you get swiped right or swiped left. And like, there's a lot of variations there that kind of shouldn't be there, you know? So that's kind of interesting and important to, to be aware of and to, for us to work on as a culture too. So um, disability is another one where um, I'm trying to remember, Oh, special is the show on Netflix. So good. Um, I think it's Netflix. But it follows a disabled man in his life and his sexual exploration. And he's also gay. So, like, that would be an example of, you know, the intersectionality of different identities and um, how they all come into play. And and really, any person, any human is going to be at the intersection of all their various identities, you know. So it's it's really also just kind of looking at people um, as an individual, whole, amazing human. Totally. Yeah. And I think if, as far as like a silver bullet, I know those don't exist, but for men and like how they can improve their sex lives to, yeah. to round it up is going to be look outward and take care of your partner mm. instead of just focusing on yeah. your orgasm. Because also it's going to take the pressure off of performance Cause it's like, I mean, that's if I'm thing, actually, yes, you know what I mean? Like if I'm not really yeah. worried about if and when I come, I'm not going to be tripping about how long I'm lasting, for example. Right. Right. And if you realize like, you know, people that have a, a vulva and a clitoris and a vagina that like, they're more likely to orgasm from the clitoral stimulation than the vaginal stimulation. So like much more that, likely, right. Like so much more likely. And so like that takes a lot of pressure off too. When you start realizing that. Totally. Yeah, it's like, oh, change the whole game. Yeah. Learn cuddlingus, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> or whatever your partner likes, you know. I, I, that's yeah, the thing I would say is like, you know, just ask. You know, and this is where I think yeah. women could also know their bodies a little bit better. And I think this is where it's important that like women also like masturbate and explore their bodies and know how to communicate this to partners and get past, you know, some of the shyness that I think we've been socialized to have. But, you know, you know, guys, especially if you're having really whoever you're having sex with, regardless of gender, just ask <laughs> all of us. <laughs> just all ask. Sure. I'll ask. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, what works for you? Or, hey, I really want you to you know, feel comfortable and be able to have an orgasm. Like, what's going to get you there? Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great book note. Yeah. As, as we jump over to the conversation game. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Spark by Seek Discomfort. Okay. Um, would you like to go first or second as far as answering a question? Oh, well, I'll go first, I guess. Okay. Here's your question. Oh, okay. Should I read it? Yes, please. Okay. If you had 24 hours left to live, who would you spend your last day with and why? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's an interesting philosophical answer too. Um, so I, I feel like it's going to be a little bit like less because I kind of want to say like everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, big party. Yeah, so maybe be like a big party, but I think it would be less about like you know I want to be with this person or that person, and more just like feeling loved, feeling connection, feeling surrounded by that. 
Um, that sounds like the best way to go out to me. You know, it'd be nice if there was like a hot, sexy man in there somewhere for me too. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like my best friend, my, you know, my immediate and extended family, my other, all my friends, you know, like it would just be yeah. like, let's hang out. Let's have a good time. And a, and a hot guy who asks, how can I make who you asks? feel good? Yes. He's going to ask. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> uh, love it. All right. Here's my question. What trait immediately draws you to other people? Hmm. I would say being, I'm going to do two. Okay. Non-judgmental. Yeah. Feeling good. someone's non-judgmental. Yeah. And the number two, comfortable in their own skin. Oh, that's a really good one too. That's just like a really nice feeling to be around oh someone God. like that. Yeah. And I kind of want everyone listening to like, like embody that what you just said for a moment, because when someone's comfortable with themselves, they're probably going to be less judgmental. They're probably going to communicate more openly and honestly. They're probably going to be less inhibited sexually. So I actually think there's a lot in that one quality that is probably really underrated. I like that makes sense. Yeah. It kind of like spreads out to other aspects of yeah, being. I think that's a huge one. Good pick, Thomas. <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> awesome, Heather. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you. Yeah. Uh, for anyone listening, head over to heathershannon.co to learn about your work and what you're doing. Is there anything else you would want to leave the leave the folks with as far as sharing about your work and what you do? I think it's just that it's worth doing the work to be comfortable in your skin. Like you just said. So whether that's meditation or working with a coach or a therapist or listening to this podcast, just like stay on that journey because it's only going to make your life and your relationships and your sex better. Booyah. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. Have a wonderful evening and good luck with your move. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah. Bye.